This morning we want to speak on three full weeks of spiritual warfare. Three full weeks of spiritual warfare. Daniel chapter 10, please, beginning to read at verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, and the time appointed was long, and he had understood the thing that had understanding of the vision. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the fourth and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river which is Hedekel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of euphaz. His body also was like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground, and behold, a hand touched me and set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. And he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. We know the Lord will bless that wonderful reading of his own word, but we'll just buy in a word of prayer. Again, our eternal Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his blood. We thank you for his finished work. We thank you for his doing. We thank you for his dying. And Lord, we thank you that he is risen again from the dead. Father, this morning we thank you for your word, your word which encourages us, challenges us, convicts us, blesses us, instructs us, and teaches us. We thank you for your word that is alive and it's living. Father, we thank you 
We thank you this morning for everyone you've brought out, for everyone that will watch live from wherever they are, from the United States to Australia. Lord, we pray that you would bless them with the blessing and the portion that are here today. We pray for those who are sick and can't be with us, for your healing touch to be upon them. We pray, O God, for those, Lord, who are away on holidays, that you would keep your hand upon them and bless them. We pray for all who are here this morning, Lord. As our faces differ, so do our needs, and you know each and every one of them. But we pray, Lord, that you would meet each and every one of us at the point of our need. And for this man, I pray, Father, that you would touch my clay lips, and, Lord, you would anoint your word. Lord, that your word would be heard not only in our ears, but even deep within our hearts to be received the engrafted word which is able to save the soul. We love you. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. So help us this morning. Bless the children in children's church. Bless the leaders and the teachers and encourage them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Daniel tells us in verse 2, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Daniel was in mourning for three full weeks. It's strange because after our reading, with hindsight, we look back and we see that Daniel was mourning for three full weeks, but during his worst of times, those three full weeks, during that period of time, a spiritual battle was happening. Spiritual warfare had come into place. Daniel knew nothing about it from the very first prayer, from the very first day that he set his heart and his face to seek the Lord. A spiritual battle that he didn't know about. He was at his weakest. He was at his weakest. God had heard his cry from the first and Daniel in his weakest thought, well, there's no hope. Nothing's going to change. But little did Daniel know that this spiritual warfare which was going on and Daniel seeking the face of God, he didn't just sit and mope or mourn. He entered the presence of God and he prayed and he sought the face of the Lord. But little did he know that Daniel's mourning and driving him to prayer and to seek the face of the Lord, little did Daniel know that he was actually in a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. Now, brothers and sisters, we're going to look at this this morning, and I want you, even if you hear anything this morning, to take that first little thought, to take it home with you, that whatever you face, whatever you're going home with or back home to, it might be someone who has been antagonistic towards you because of your faith. It might be an illness. It might be uh, something in your workplace. It might be a neighbor. It might be something else. And you will know something that is against you. And you're feeling, you know, I'm at my weakest. And there seems to be no change. Nothing is happening. Daniel was the same. He was in mourning for three full weeks. Now, this is the man who prayed three times every day. Three times a day he sought the face of the Lord. But now he talks about going into intercessory prayer where he starts to really seek the face of God. And do you know that whenever you're at your weakest and when you're crying on to your father and you're praying that God would interfere in a situation, get involved, there's a war in the heavenlies. 
There's a spiritual battle going on for maybe someone's soul. Spiritual battle going on for maybe the Lord has laid something in your heart that really you have to pray for. A spiritual battle sets out that you know nothing about. Maybe it's for someone in your family and you're praying and they're not getting saved. There's a spiritual battle. Christ has already won the victory, but the battle is through where the darkness would try to hold them back. Spiritual battles are happening all the time. And you and I see with 2020 vision. But we need to ask the Lord, would you show me through the eyes of the Spirit what is happening? Brothers and sisters, we are human beings of flesh and blood and bone. But there is a spiritual realm. There is a spiritual world. And that world influences this world. That world influences this world. It influences this world in leadership, in governments. It influences people individually in their minds, in their thinking, in their heart. And that individual world will influence your loved ones. And listen, Christian, if you allow that, that spiritual world, if you allow it, it will come and even influence your walk. Where rather your walk should be influenced by Christ and his word. And that's why it's important that we read the word and we pray. That's why it's important that we set our face and our heart to seek the Lord. There is wickedness in every corner, in every nation, but we'll speak about little old Ulster this morning. There is wickedness in Ulster, the murder of the baby in the womb, abortions on demand, bringing it right up to birth. So five minutes before a child is born, you, you can kill that child, but five minutes later, you can't. If that is not the height of wickedness that is being passed down through government level, then I don't know what is the height of wickedness. There's wickedness that causes men and women to fall into different sin and ill repute where they may even fall into addiction. And spiritual wickedness is everywhere. Your prayers matter. Brothers and sisters, your prayers matter. That man, that woman, that husband, that wife, who's maybe even against you, that son, that daughter who's wayward, that neighbor who, because you're a Christian, thinks they can treat you in whatever way they want to because that's a regular occurrence. That, that part of media that loves to hammer the Christian faith and, but no other faiths, just the Christian faith. You ever wonder why? Because the other faiths are also demonic. But the true blood-wise Christian faith is birthed of God. That's why they attack. That's why the name of Jesus is used as a curse word and a swear word. But Muhammad is never used. Confucius is never used. And so your prayers matter for our land, for our nation, for our governments. And for what's happening. Spiritual warfare. When you pray, it's understanding. It's not just you bending your knee at your bed or 
wherever you are in church, having a, a word of prayer. It's not just you maybe going out for a walk and talking to the Lord. You're actually entering a spiritual realm. And while you're in a clay vessel with the Holy Spirit in you, you're entering a spiritual realm. And warfare starts to happen. And all hell breaks loose. Now, that's not to frighten you because we're on the winning team. We're on the victory side. When Jesus cried, it is finished, all our sins were paid in food. Isn't that right? But also, he rose again victorious over Satan, death, and hell. And so whenever you are praying, yes, you may have opposition, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's time as believers we understood these things. The value of life to murderers, whether it's a doctor who slays a child in the womb or someone goes out and points a gun and shoots that innocent person to death, spiritual wickedness. Daniel is in mourning. Man is praying three times a day. That's his set custom. But at this point, he tends to go into a deeper realm of prayer. How does that happen? Well, we can always have our set custom. Well, I get up every morning, you might say, and I pray. Good. That's, as it were, a set custom. But how do you get closer and move into that other area where things begin to happen and change. It's when we set our face above all others and above all else and set our hearts on Christ. And we come out of our comfort zone where it's not just a simple prayer. It's a crying unto God for something that is dear, for something that is precious. I need you, Lord. Now, Daniel is mourning. We're told he prays. We're told he opens the windows and he's in Babylon in captivity and he's opening the windows towards Jerusalem and he prays three times a day. We're told that, but this time he's in mourning. Now, if we understand what mourning is, and some of you along, maybe all of us know to some degree, what mourning is. Daniel went in for three solid weeks to mourn, not for friends and not for family even. You know what he was mourning for? The worship which had stopped the work to bring it about in Jerusalem. That's why he was mourning. He was mourning because the work had stopped because of opposition in Jerusalem. Now he's about 84, 85 years of age at this point. He's in Babylon out in the east and away across, if you come a straight line almost across the desert, could be about 500 miles. And there in Jerusalem, those who were released under Cyrus had come out and they were doing the work. And then of course, things started to go wrong. Things started to change. The work started to slow down until it came to a complete halt. And some reckon it stopped for 15 years. Brothers and sisters, you, you might say, well, what's that got to do with this morning? Do you see in our own personal lives, 
Do you see in our own personal walk? Do you see in our own land that we're living in? We need to get to the place where we become in mourning for what's happening in Ulster. Brokenhearted because of the way the churches have went. Because of the way the worship had stopped. Because of the way the governments were now lording and ruling over the people. That's what Daniel was in mourning for because of these things. And sometimes we think it's only a matter of a wee prayer. Daniel was an intercessory prayer. His heart was poured out like water and he was in mourning, deep mourning for the lack of worship. Isn't that strange, brothers and sisters? Let's just pause for a moment because Daniel's in mourning for the lack of worship. I mean, we we can be in mourning for different things, but for the lack of worship. When was the last time any of us went into mourning, actually mourning, not upset even, not disagreeing, or, but actual in mourning because of the lack of true reverential worship before the Lord. That's what Daniel did. He realized the state of the work that was going on in Jerusalem. You see, turn with me to Ezra, if you will, the book of Ezra. And chapter four, please. It's a bit more like a Bible study this morning. But in Ezra chapter four, so what had happened was when you read, you'll read of First Kings, 11, 12, the the separating of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The house of Israel were in sin and they were carried away. They're they're gone. They've disappeared. They're away into migration. But the house of Judah was represented by the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, and the Levitical priest tribe, although they're not usually mentioned because they had no inheritance of land, but they took of the tithe. And that's who's left, and they are taken into Babylon. They're taken into Babylon, and the Lord said they would have been there for 70 years. Now, we'll look at it in a little second. Now, Ezra, when you read Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, the Jews, or the house of Judah, have been in Babylon for 70 years. The Lord moved on a heathen king, Cyrus, who we read about in our reading. And Cyrus was the king. He was actually a Median king, Medo-Persian king. They came as a coalition government, the Medes and the Persians, like a coalition government. And if if you're taking notes, write down Daniel chapter 2 and read Daniel chapter 2 and you'll hear of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and he had Daniel interpret it and he had the dream where it was a man with a head of gold and his chest and arms of silver belly of brass, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. 
And then Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, Thou art this head of gold, and there shall come an inferior kingdom after you, which would be the Medes and the Persians, the coalition government of the two arms of silver. And then the bronze was Alexander the Great, and then the iron was the Roman Empire, and so on, and so on. I've taught on it quite a number of times. And so when Cyrus, who we read in Daniel chapter 10, he is the Medo-Persian king. He's actually from Medo, uh, the Median king, but he's called the Persian because he overtakes the whole lot. Then the, the arms, as it were, seem to tilt where Persians then come and take over instead. And it goes to show you, brothers and sisters, that, listen, coalitions don't really work. Government coalitions don't really work because one will rise up above another and then the other will rise up above the other. Maybe Ulster needed to take a lesson from these things. Here we find that in Ezra, they're in Babylon. Ezra has been released with about 42,000 to come out to build Jerusalem's walls, and that was under Nehemiah, and the temple under Ezra. Ezra 4, verse 1. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief, to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezra Haddon, king of Asur, which brought us up thither. Hither. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. And when the people of the land, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, underline those two kings because there's a timeline here starts. Cyrus says, go out and build the temple. The Lord moves on him, said through Isaiah the prophet, that he would call this ravenous bird and he would move on him who was a heathen and that was Cyrus. And he released them after 70 years and so they come back to build the walls in the temple. When they come back to do that, then they have some trouble. So right to Darius who takes over in Babylon. There's a few kings after him but he takes over in Babylon. There's a period of time, and this is when Darius's time is when Daniel 10, Daniel is praying. Daniel is in mourning, and Daniel has set his face to seek the Lord. But notice what it says here. Verse 4, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. The people here who came to Judah and Benjamin with Levi, they were what's known as, we hear of, the Samaritans. And when the house of Israel were taken in the north and taken away captive, what the Babylonians or the Assyrians did, early, early Assyrians, they sent people down who they had captive in another place and put them in the land 
of the north of Israel. And there were some of them there who had escaped the, 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 the Babylonians coming to carry them away. And they intermingled. And hence in Jesus' day, John chapter 4, the, the woman says the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Same here. This is what's happening. And they're saying, oh, we'll follow the God. We're following the God that you follow because they sent actually a priest down to try and convert them. And they went, no, you're not. Now take note of this. A priest came from Israel, sent down into them to convert them, to show them the way. But they didn't really turn. Weren't really converted. And they're coming now to those of Judah and saying, we're following, we'll help you build. And listen, they said, no, you won't. This shows us how unprofitable the ecumenical movement is. This shows us that we should be sanctified unto the Lord. This shows us that we are called out of this world to be different. This shows us that even then they were saying, no, you're not following the Lord I'm following. Ah, but we are taught about him. Yeah, but you don't know him. You're not of Israel. But you don't know him. And again, brothers and sisters, here is the spiritual darkness which many are falling into. Many churches have fully accepted it as the whole ecumenical movement. The whole ecumenical movement headed by the Roman church. Brothers and sisters, we as blood-washed, blood-bought, spirit-filled, born-again believers, we are called to be sanctified unto the Lord. We are called to be different. We are called out unto him. Here we find that they're saying, no, you won't. And so the opposition came And it says in verse 4, the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. Do you know what the words troubled them in building means? They kept at them. They kept at them until they weakened their hands or in other words, they were completely discouraged in the work. Now that's what the enemy does. That's what the enemy does to you in your personal life. And that's what the enemy does now with the whole Marxist communist idea that's rife in our land that get them all together because they're easier contained. They weaken your hands by doing what? By discouraging you. You know, if we take our stand, but pastor, you know, people will not like us. That's okay. People won't like you anyway. If we take our stand, people will be against us. But that's okay. People are going to be against you anyway. If we take our stand, listen, the Holy Ghost calls you out. Wherefore, come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will be a father unto you. It's at this time Daniel goes into mourning because the work ceases. In Ezra 4, you'll read in verse 6 of Ahasuerus. His name is also known as Xerxes. Xerxes. 
And then it says in verse 7 of Artaxerxes, that's his son, the king of Persia. So they're all reigning at the time. Let your eye run right down just to verse 23. These people write a letter to Artaxerxes. They write a letter to government. Aye. Verse 23. And when the, copy, when the copy of King Arxaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force. Notice, to cease by force and power. You're not allowed to open your temple. You're not allowed to worship your God. You're not entering here. You're not going to start blood sacrifice here unto God. This is what it's saying here. This is what they did. Notice verse 24. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged here for a moment. They reckon this is 15 years, as I said, where the work had stopped and ceased. And their only victory, the enemy's only victory, was to delay the work, not to defeat it. Did you hear that? Only to delay it, not to defeat it. And if you allow the enemy to get into your mind, he's a liar. And if you allow the enemy to get into your mind, you know what he'll do? He'll try to defeat you. But when you fix your mind on the word of God, he he may try to delay you, but he will never defeat you. Never defeat you. And so we find here that Daniel enters into intercessory prayer. Brothers and sisters, the enemies of the forces of darkness, they delayed us last year. They haven't defeated us. And neither will they. The forces of darkness, we have to remember there's more that be for us in the spirit realm than be for them. So, in Daniel chapter 10, if you'll turn with me. Daniel, it says, in verse 2, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I remember Daniel's mourning for the lack of worship, for the temple being hindered, even stopped for 15 years. Government has moved in. And the worldliness of the Samaritan resistance has come against them. And every opposition under the sun seems to be against them. And Daniel went into mourning for the lack of worship. I don't know how many people I know who go into mourning just because they haven't got, as it were, to worship in their place of worship. Thank the Lord we can worship in spirit and in truth. But they gather and worship to the temple, and the work to be seen and done, Daniel was in mourning. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Here's a little thought for you just before we move on. Boy, time's flying too. In Daniel chapter 9, this is the most argued over 
chapter probably in the whole of Holy Writ. Now, we're not going to go into it this morning. But Daniel has a visitation. What did Daniel do? He repented for the sins of the nation and his own sins. And he repented until he had a visitation. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see the churches, the Christians? Wouldn't it be absolutely fantastic to see them gathered together, including this one, repenting of our sin, repenting of our national sin, repenting of our individual sin, and repenting for what is happening in our nation until we get a visitation. God would pour out his Holy Spirit again in visitation to us and revive the church. Talk about revival. Revival isn't going to start outside in those people of unregenerate hearts. Revival starts in the hearts that are already regenerated but have died. Revival starts in you and revival starts in me. I would call outside more like a resurrection, spiritual resurrection, for people to be spiritually resurrected from death, that they might behold Christ and they might know the word and that they too would go and do likewise. Notice this in Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year, Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, notice, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations to Jerusalem. Now take note, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which speak in thy name unto our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces as it is this day, to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel, notice, that are near, that are far off, through all the countries, whether thou hast driven them. This is the northern kingdom of the ten tribes, house of Israel. They're gone, and God has driven them. People say they hung around and all became known as Jews. It doesn't say that here. It says they are gone through the countries where the Lord had driven them. Notice this. Because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee, O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. 
To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed by the law, even by departing, that they might not obey the vo- thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. What curse? When you go home, read Leviticus chapter 26. It's known as the seven times punishment of Israel. Here it's the seven times punishment of Judah. So he is here seeking the face of God. Let your eye run down for time's sake. And this visitation of this angel, he gives them a time frame. Verse 24 Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. And here he gives it in verse 26, just for time's sake. And after three score and two weeks, notice three score and two, 62, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, but for the people, for the prince shall come in shall come to destroy the city. That's Titus, the Roman prince, in AD 70. And the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of wars, desolations are determined. Now take note here. God gives them a time frame of 70 weeks. Started to happen. Daniel was told that there would be 70 years they would be in Babylon. He's reading the book of Jeremiah. That's what it says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. He's reading the book of Jeremiah. And as he's reading the book of Jeremiah, what would he find about being in captivity for 70 years? Jeremiah chapter 29, and I'm sure many of you will know this verse off by heart, but I want to put it in the context that it is written in. Jeremiah 29 verse 10. This is before they go into captivity for their sin. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished, notice, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. What place? This is before. This is Jerusalem they're in. This is the land of Judah. And he says, you're going to go into Babylon. After 70 years you'll come out. Verse 11 For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I'm sure many of you have seen that post somewhere. Maybe it's put up on a a wall or something. And that's good that the Lord thinks well of us like that. But that's the context it's in. And giving you the background here, for Daniel is now at this end of this 70 years. They have been released. The work has stopped Different kings in Babylon have come along. Now it's Darius, the prince of Persia is there. He's ruling and he's wanting to start the work again. Daniel is in mourning because the work in Jerusalem has stopped. This has been fulfilled. But notice what he says in verse 12. Then shall ye call upon me and shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken to you, unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye search for me with all of your heart, and I will be found of you, and I will, I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. He's speaking here about them coming back to Jerusalem. And now the work has ceased. 
The Samaritan resistance has come against them. And Daniel goes into mourning because there's no worship of Yahweh, Jehovah God. Brothers and sisters, these were people, these were people who really loved their Lord, their God. How much more on this side of the cross? How much more on this post-Calvary? How much more when we see how Christ has paid our debt? How much more should we be in love with the Lord? Surely we should be in mourning because of the way even churches have closed Weeks ago, I preached something about, weeks ago, and I preached about three points of the Great Reset. One was nanotechnology. Brought up from past technology was another. You know what the third one was? The greening of the church. The greening of society. Humanist ideology coming in. You know what for? To save the planet. It's part of the Great Reset. Did you know that? It's part of the Great Reset. I remember one time a lot of years ago, someone stopped me in Belfast City Centre. And they were Hare Krishna. And they says to me, Do you know God? I says, yes, absolutely, I do, yes. How do you know him? I says, I know him through his word and by his spirit. Yes, I know him. He says, what's his name? I says, his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, ah, do you want to see a picture of God? I says, if you've got one, you let me see what you think it is. And he pulled out one of these books. You see them giving for an offering. And there was this man with about six arms, you know, big pointy hat and all on. So then I went into about looking after the earth and all, and I says, let me stop you, friend. I says, I agree with looking after the environment, don't get me wrong. I agree with being good with the environment, don't get me wrong. I says, but do you know this earth is going to be burned up? Do you know this world that we are living in is going to be consumed when Christ returns? Do you know he's going to come in flaming fire, seeking vengeance on them that know not God and have, a, have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? I says, and you're one of them. You will be consumed. Do you not know that? But what about the planet? I says, the planet will remain because there's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. I says, now, friend, are you going to be there? Well, he didn't want to stand around too long after that. And he and his God went on. Brothers and sisters, there are so many things that are happening and blindness, as it says in the scriptures, is still in part to Israel. There's many even in the church and they do not understand what is happening in our world. Wow, time is flowing. I haven't got past my first page yet. The Lord says, I will give you an expected end. The word expected end, or the term is the word tikva. 
tikvah in the original Hebrew text. Do you know what it means? A ground for hope. A ground for hope. The Lord says to them, you're going out, but you're coming in. No matter what the enemy throws against you, you're going to be in Babylon 70 years. No matter what the governments come, no matter what kings come, no matter what lords come, no matter what princes are there, he says, I'm going to bring you back again to worship me here. To worship me here. Brothers and sisters, the enemy, the spiritual world, Maybe do part two in this next week if the Lord doesn't give me something else. Haven't even touched on this yet. The enemy of the spiritual realm. Now listen, Satan is not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. The Lord is. He is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once, but he has his little minions and spirits. But the Lord is with you all the time. And he's not omniscient. He can't see or hear everything. He doesn't know your heart. But he can imply into your heart. Impute something in if you allow him. His lies, his fear. Lies and fear and his dogma. And he can do all of this through even religious circles. Government levels. Program you. And you can believe it. The next thing you're petrified to even come out your door. The devil is a liar. And he's certainly not omnibenevolent. He doesn't love you. He does not love you. But your father is and does love you. So let me finish here. We'll maybe start next week. God willing. In Daniel chapter 10. If you let your eye run down to verse 12. This is what this certain, what's known as the glorious man. Uh, there's, most people seem to think that this is the Lord Jesus, a, a, a theophany of God before uh, Bethlehem, before he becomes a man in the flesh. Most tem- Some don't because he needed help to defeat the prince of Persia. That is the spiritual dark prince. He needed help. So why would Jesus need help? But he, and I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters, I always lent to you, it is the Lord Jesus, and it's the Lord. But, but people may say, well, why did he need help? And why? I don't know why some things are. Why does God use you and I and not just fix it all? Just fix it all. Why does God, on, 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 on these issues, why did God not come and just say, I'm sorting all this out. Forget about all those demonic beings. Blow on them, breathe on them, burn them up, consume them, whatever he wanted, because he could do it with a word. And there's war in heaven. We'll look at that maybe next week. In, in, in Revelation 12, Michael and his angels fought, and the great dragons fought, and and the angels of heaven and, and these were a third of the angels were drawn out by his tail. And all of this spiritual warfare that's happened, why did God not just wipe them out? Why did God just not take care of them? I'll be honest with you, I don't know. But I do believe that God uses us 
God uses things. God uses situations that we will work in, that we will pray into, that he allows us to pray that when the spiritual realm is moved, we see God getting the victory, we see him getting the glory, and we in our face are blessed and built up. Why does he allow us to be part of it? God made us to have fellowship with him. And I don't know any more than that. Just being honest. I've searched, I've read for a long time about it, and I don't know. I could give you other ideas, but it's not worth me giving them now. But notice this. Verse 12. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. I want to put a little disclaimer in here. I want you to mark something. Some crazy charismatics think this is when you call the angels down. You order an angel here and you call an angel there. Listen, that's not what this means. He prayed to his father and his father done the dispatching. It's in the will of his father. All we need to do, we don't need to worry about the spiritual war. We don't need to worry about the spiritual warfare. But what we do is we seek the face of your father and your father will either send the angels to spiritual warfare if needed or the God who is in you will strengthen you through it. You don't need to worry about that. So Daniel is mourning and he knows that God had given the house of Judah an expected end, a ground for hope. And he prays in Daniel 9, God releases them, but the enemy comes against the work. The enemy comes against the work to destroy it. Brothers and sisters, here's what I'm going to say. If something is of God, if the work is of God, the enemy will definitely resist you. Samaritan resistance. The enemy will without a doubt resist you the enemy will come against you. The enemy will lie about you. The enemy will come to deceive others about you. The enemy will come and whisper in people's ears about you. The enemy will come and he will try to discourage you, make your hands weak that you don't even want to do the work anymore. The enemy will come that you don't even feel like going on anymore. Oh, he will do it all. But brothers and sisters, you take note. The enemy may do that at his worst. But God has given us a sure ground of hope. An expected end. Do you know what the expected end is? I'm going to be in glory because I'm washed in the blood. And the work will continue if it's of God. The work will continue. The words were heard, thy words were heard, and I am come from thy for thy words. Daniel wasn't angry. But you can have a righteous anger. You know, I'm tired of the way it is with a lack of worship. It causes you to go, mourning causes a roller coaster of emotions. One minute you're sad, next minute you're not too bad, and then you can come around and you can be absolutely mad. Big roller coaster of emotions. 
Here's what an old Puritan said about anger and the Christian. His name was William Jenkin. He says, anger should not be destroyed, but sanctified. Anger should not be destroyed, but sanctified. Righteous anger is this. When we take this, this is wrong what's happening in Ulster. This is wrong what's happening in the United Kingdom. This is wrong what's happening in the hospitals. This is wrong what's happening when people can't get their operations and down of cancers and so on. This is wrong, and you, you start getting angry about it. This is wrong what's happening while there's to do with an REC border, whatever way your, your thoughts are. This is wrong, this is wrong, and you get angry about it, but don't allow the, angry, uh, the anger to make you sin. Be angry and sin not, Paul tells us. Here's the anger. You sanctify it and you bring it to God. Bring that to God. You'll go through the roller coaster of emotion, but in that, God will hear your voice, God will hear your words, God will hear your cry, and God will dispatch to do that which He determines to do. Prayer isn't a mere therapeutic exercise. Do you know that? Prayer, your prayers are not a mere therapeutic exercise. Some people say, oh, I just thought we perfect better. And that's fine. That's okay. But it's not about therapy. Prayer's about entering into the spirit realm. Prayer's about you and your Father and one in the Holy Spirit. Prayer's about you entering into that place. And bringing it before God, the injustices and the sin of our land and our nation as Daniel did. And it's entering in for a spiritual battle to take place. That someone would be saved, that backsliders would be restored, that people would be released and delivered. And you'll find when you enter into that place, you'll find that you'll go further and further on with God. Brothers and sisters, it's not a therapeutic exercise. I'm going to say it again. Prayer is not just a therapeutic exercise. Prayer is a weapon. The weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Time you start to pray, pulling down strongholds, brothers and sisters. Listen, with God on our side, we're on the victory team. We're washed in the blood. May God bless us this morning. And we'll see... Hi, on what we do next week, maybe part two.